Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Boom podcast from Virgin Media Business. Today we are recording a special show from Manchester's Lowry Arts Centre. On the banks of the Shipping Canal, the water is glistening and Salford Quays is positively sunny. We're here for the 2018 Voom semi-final. I'm Nikki Beatty, and over the past few months, thousands of businesses across the UK and Ireland have been battling it out for the chance to win a share of £1 million worth of prizes and business support. Following a jaw-biting public vote, 80 companies have made it through to pitch their ideas in one of two categories, Spark and Startup and Scale and Grow. And out of that 80, only six will make it through to the final this Wednesday, that's the 23rd of May, in London, where they'll pitch to a panel of judges, including Richard Branson himself. The adrenaline is running high, and we're here to soak up some of this semi-final atmosphere. But in our usual podcast style, we're also going to be taking advantage of this wonderful part of the world by talking entrepreneurship with some of the very best in the Northwest. That rhymes. My guests for the podcast are a woman who's leading the charge for tech companies in the North. Last year, she was named a rising star in Computer Weekly's Most Influential Women in IT, as well as being featured on the Maserati 100 list. Amongst a range of ventures, she's a co-founder of Tech North Advocates, a group of leaders, experts and investors championing the North of England as a world-class hub for digital business. A warm welcome to Naomi Timperley. Hello. Good Hello. afternoon. Thank you for being here. And alongside Naomi, from just over the border, about an hour away in Wrexham, North Wales, my second guest is co-founder of a company that over the last 20 years has made a mark as a pioneer in the field of office outsourcing. From humble beginnings in the year 2000, the company, called Moneypenny, set out to provide remote PAs and receptionists to companies across the land. They've since grown exponentially, to a point, in fact, where they employ a whopping 570 employees in the UK, turning over in excess of £18 million, which is just astonishing. If that's not enough for you, she also runs a charity called We Mind the Gap, giving training opportunities to underserved young women in Wrexham, Liverpool and surrounding areas. A very warm welcome to Money Penny's co-founder, Rachel Clacker. Hello, Rachel. Hi. Thank you nice for to being be here. here. You're framed by the bridge in the background as I look at you, by the way. It's a good a halo. Yeah, you've a got bridge a halo. halo. Exactly. <laughs> the only halo I've ever had, anyway. I want to talk uh, to both of you, actually, uh, in terms of your stories and your businesses and get some tips for our listeners. But 
I'm going to start by asking you why you think this part of the UK is such a special place for entrepreneurship. Often in the press, and we can be guilty of this too, there's an unfair focus on the South and in London, but the North is really thriving. So, Naomi, why specifically have you chosen Manchester to be the home for Tech North Advocates? I think that the north for me, because I'm actually a southerner, I was brought up down south and I've been up here now for about 20 years. So the, the north for me is, is a much more friendlier place to do business. I think people are more open to be collaborative and generally they just help each other a bit more. And certainly with, you know, if I've got my Tech North Advocates hat on, that's what that's all about. It's about supporting and advocating tech in the north. I think there is just as many opportunities in the north as there is in London. And what is your aim for the company? So we are a non-for-profit that is really just very, very simply advocating tech in the north. It's really simple. It's just helping each other. That's it. Rachel, today the idea of remote staff and combining tech to make companies more flexible isn't unusual. But Moneypenny has been a real trailblazer in the area. Today, the company deals with something like 10 million customer communications on behalf of 10,000 companies a year. But if we rewind, tell me how it all started. Well, it started actually out of finding a need for the kind of services that we offer. Um, and my, my brother was actually using, um, who is my co-founder, um, he was actually using a, a telephone answering service um, who did a perfectly adequate job until such time as they refused to accept a fax on his behalf. So this, you can tell us this is a while ago because fax <laughs> is quite important. Anyway, so, you know, out of that, we just asked the question, why can't there be a telephone answering service where the person who looks after your calls is someone that you know and trust? And we couldn't find the answer, so we thought, well, let's do it. And we did it. And so now it's, you know, it's not just about telephone answering, it's about all sorts of other communications as well and you know, live chat, outsource customer services. But, but essentially, it's, you know, it's having a really simple idea and, and sticking with that and doing one thing brilliantly. And I think you know, doing that, is, regardless of where you are, is, is you know, hold the essence of what you do very true and um, that will get you somewhere. And when we talk about disrupting the market, what do you think was Moneypenny's secret? Well, I think our secret was actually understanding that our clients wanted to buy great people. They didn't actually care about the tech. They wanted the tech to do the right job. Mm. But actually, it's, it's the people that they were speaking to and who were looking after their calls that, that were really important to them. And I think for so many of our competitors at that time, you know, they saw themselves as tech businesses. And actually, we... We are a tech business, but actually it's, tech is there to support our people and to enable real relationships between, between our people and, and our clients and, and their callers. And I think that view of, of tech being an enabler rather than an end in itself is something that we believe fundamentally. And Naomi, you're heavily involved in the startup community here. You're also on the board of Futures Everything and chair of Capital Pilot, which is an early stage funding specialist for the tech scene. What for you makes a standout idea? Um, firstly, the people, the people behind the business. I think people buy into people. So um, the founders and the team around the business. Obviously, how does it make money? 
And what problem does it solve? I think I've worked with really early stage startups, even people with just an idea. And I think that's sometimes really difficult for people to sort of work out exactly what they do. So my sort of day-to-day job is actually I'm a consultant that works with tech and digital businesses to grow, but doing that through partnerships, engagement and collaboration. So how they can actually grow through working with other organisations. Um, but I would definitely say it always starts with the people. Both of you then agree with that. People are the most important yeah. thing. But are there any predominant traits that you have noticed in successful companies? They're smart and lean. I think, you know, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a business and, uh, yes, I have to get an office and I have to do this and I have to do that. And actually, I think when you're first starting up, you know, try the business first um, before you sort of go full swoop into it. Um, but also, it's really hard work. So, you know, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved in starting a business. And I think people don't realise the hard work that's involved. And what would your top tips be for people with an innovative idea in terms of actually getting it off the ground in those early stages, perhaps from your own experiences? Um, do your research. I think I, I come across loads and loads of people that, that have great ideas, but they don't do the research properly. Um, and I think, you know, again, there's, there's loads of different ways of doing that, but I think that's really, really important. Um, and, and also find out if there is a need for their problem. You know, you quite clearly said uh, that you came up with your idea because you, you wanted to solve a problem. But, yeah, I think do your research. Rachel, would you have a top tip for somebody who's got an idea and wants to get it off the ground? My top tip would be to wake up every morning and put your client's shoes on. You know, we need our clients and customers to buy from us for our businesses to be successful. But actually, we need to have our finger on the pulse of what our clients' needs are. And the pace and rate of change at the moment technologically is is so enormous that we have to understand how they are functioning in their worlds so that we can keep answering their needs. And those, those, you know, the way people are behaving is changing all the time. And I think there's nothing quite as powerful as wearing your client's shoes. And I think when a business is growing it's really easy to forget about who who we really need this to work for. Today, 80 companies are here to pitch their ideas for the chance to make it through to the final of the Voom competition. Do you have any top tips for pitching ideas, especially when you're looking for investment? Rachel? I think you need to have absolute conviction in your product. Mm -hmm. And I've recently sort of met you know a few businesses who've been pitching for ideas and what I find most frustrating is when people are pitching for money but then don't actually quite know what they want to spend that money on and and I think we all need to have a really clear idea and, and, and for some businesses money isn't always the right thing for us when we were growing we had the opportunity of, of taking some money on board and we didn't because we, we didn't actually know what we'd spend it on because we wanted to grow organically right. um, and so I think yeah absolute conviction and know know what you spend every penny on. Naomi, what about you? I would say um, you have to be really clear about what problem you're solving and I think the passion has to shine through. Um, going back to what I said before, people buy into people. You appeared on the TV show Dragon's Den, right? <laughs> she did, just yeah. pulled a face here, <laughs> if only this was TV. I just want to know about that experience in terms of what you learnt. She's to be, smiling too. So, so do you know what? Did you just say, do you want me to be honest? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so so what I learn um, is it is a TV show and it's edited, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually, it was brilliant for me because, to be fair, we got hounded by the BBC to do Dragon's Den. We mm. didn't need the money because we were growing organically, and I did it with my American business partner. And at the time, we literally had one evening to prepare mm-hmm. for the pitch. It was terrifying. We were in the den for an hour and 45 minutes. But it taught me, you know, don't be scared of anything. To be fair, the human beings. And yeah. I think it's like any pitch that you do, whether it's Deborah Meaden and Peter Jones or whether it's the bank or whoever, just try and be yourself, but also make sure that you, you know your numbers, um, you know your business inside out. And I think one thing that I had was was that passion and you know I think Deborah sort of said to me um you know I'm investing in you I didn't take the money though you didn't no. didn't you <laughs> <laughs> earlier today I had a wander around the venue to meet some of the people pitching in the boom semi-final to see how they were feeling to discuss tactics here's what they had to say so we're now walking through the Lowry Art Centre, the Virgin Media Business Voom t-shirt is everywhere the eye can see. You did, do you want to talk to us very briefly? I am spotting all kinds of individuals sitting in corners and talking to themselves, obviously practicing their pitches. So let's go around here. There's a man sitting on a yellow sofa. So Hello. First, first of all, what's your name? Abraham Cambridge, business is the Sun Exchange, buy to lease solar cells. We are streaming monetized African sunshine around the world. Okay, now why did you enter the Voom competition? I entered the 2016 competition because I know Richard Branson loves this business, he just hasn't seen it yet. I read his book, Screw It, Let's Do It, back in 2014 when I was formulating the business. So and it's about, it's just a bit, it will close the loop if I get to pitch one of the fruits of his inspiration to him, so I think he might appreciate it. I want to pitch to Richard Branson, basically. Okay, my name is Nick Ganza, and I'm the founder and CEO of Acumen International. It's a global employment company. And you have already pitched today, is that right? Yes, yes, that's right. I pitched, yes. I loved it. So how did it go? Fantastic. I loved it. I was excited. I loved the team. Team was very warm, welcomed me. And did you have a strategy and any tactics in advance to wow those judges? Absolutely. I mean, and I, uh, I mean, I, before I started the pitch, I mean, I spoke with them and I slightly warmed them up as well because they were, th- they were thinking they're warming me up. But no, I was warming them up. Or they were thinking you were warm. Maybe it was a double bluff. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yes, maybe. Juhi, tell me what your business is called and what you do. Okay, so our business is Zoom Abroad Online and we are into international student recruitment and we are in a way disrupting the industry by bringing it online. It's a one-stop solution for all the students to search and apply to the best fit universities. And are you all nervous today? Really nervous. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm Phil Valori. I'm the founder of Just Seats. And we auction off unused corporate box tickets to the public and give 70% of the money to charity. Tell me a little bit about the actual pitching. Are you super prepared? Have you got strategies and tricks? Well, we only discovered that we got through on uh, just a couple of days ago, so there's only so much preparation you can do in that time. We've got some very basic props. Uh, I'm going to rip up a cheque. uh, for 500 million quid which is what we're wasting every year in this sector Uh, but yeah other than that we're just going to go for a pretty vanilla elevator pitch 
Any nerves at all? Definitely nerves. You'd be mad if you weren't nervous, but uh, it's kind of a good energy, I guess. Good luck. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So first of all, will you tell us your name and what you do? I'm Sue Charman Anderson and I'm the founder of Ada Lovelace Day. It's an international celebration of the achievements of women in science, technology, engineering and maths. And you're one of the partners for the VOOM events. Yes, I am. I'm one of the semi-final judges um, working on the Spark and Startup section and uh, just sitting and listening to some amazing pitches. For people listening who haven't got a visual of how the pitching takes place, do you sit like judges on a TV show and does somebody stand in the middle of the stage with their legs shaking? How does it actually work? <laughs> It's, it's been much more relaxed than Dragon's Den, uh, much more welcoming, I like to think. So, yeah, four judges sitting in a row and the uh, pitch in front of us, not on a stage, it's much more relaxed than that. I've certainly seen some nerves today, uh, which I can very much relate to, but I think, you know, if, if pitchers just have a deep breath and, and sort of try and stay calm, because I think once the nerves get to you, it's hard to recover. Yes. Um, so it's really important for people just to keep that vision of this is who I am and this is what I do and then take it from there. And backing up just a little bit, tell us about Ada Lovelace. So Ada Lovelace was the first computer programmer. Um, she was actually a Victorian woman who uh, became friends with a guy called Charles Babbage who had invented a mechanical computer. And she wrote a program to calculate Bernoulli numbers uh, and it was published and it's the first computer program published. It was the most elaborate written at the time. And one of the things that I find amazing about this is Babbage never finished the designs for his computer and he never built it. So she was working entirely from first principles. And imagine trying to write a computer program now without a working computer. I think it is amazing. And, and she really was a visionary. She really saw what computers would eventually become. And will you specifically be looking for the strong women candidates? <laughs> I'm uh, very egalitarian, <laughs> so I'm very pleased when I see a good, strong female candidate. And we have, again, had some fantastic ones today. Um, I'm also looking at whether a product is uh, gender aware. So is there maybe a little accidental bias? Could there be unintended consequences of, say, a marketing decision? And so thinking a little more broadly about actually, you know, what, how gender affects um, the product and the marketing, as well as sort of looking at, at, at hoping to support some female founders. Thank you so much. Thank you indeed. Thank you there to our Voom semi-final pictures and to Sue Sharman Anderson, the founder of Ada Lovelace Day. Rachel and Naomi are still with me for the Voom podcast. Ultimately, growth is the main objective for every business here today and... I mean, Naomi, you're a big community builder. How mm. important is community spirit to a startup or a scale-up? I think when you're first starting up, it's massively important. You know, a lot of companies don't have boards straight away. It might just be just the founder. So I think, you know, being part of community and, you know, I sort of, Tech North Advocates represents the whole of the North. But, you know, one thing that I will say with Manchester is the tech and digital community are absolutely fantastic and they do really help each other. 
you know, do you think they help each other up here more than they do in the south? Then is there? I mean, I know it's a cliche, but is there a north-south divide? Do you know what? I think people in the south probably don't ask enough for help. Uh-huh. I think I think the people in the in the north seem to be more open to accepting it, but also asking for it, mm. and just sort of also saying. I think a lot of people also think about the mission of the business. It's not just you know obviously they want to make money, mm. but also it's it's you know there's got to be about why you're doing it. Yeah. I think that's really important. Rachel, talking of growth, how did Money Penny achieve such a rapid expansion? I mean, I read an interesting fact uh, that was between 2007 and 2010, which was the period of the financial crash. Your business actually managed to triple in size. So was that an opportunity for you? Well, it was, and in, in, in so much as you know, people needed to look at their, uh, you know, their, their costs in different ways, mm-hmm. and, and essentially moving how you look after your calls and your client comms from being a fixed employment overhead to being a variable cost, you know, is a very attractive proposition. And and if, if we can, you know, I think we manage to, and we need to continue to, and hopefully we do, continue to offer a level of service and a level of you know, quality of people that is that our clients would be delighted to offer themselves, then that's, you know, that's a bit of a winning combination. It has, you know, it certainly has been for us. And in terms of achieving that growth, how did you do it? We have grown very steadily. So we've grown every year mm-hmm. and clients join us, they stay with us, they tell other people about us, other clients join us. And there's a kind of a, a, a model called the, the supply profit chain, which is about engaged employees leads to engaged clients, which leads to profit and growth. I, I never knew such a model existed when we set up Moneypenny, but, but actually, essentially, that's what we do. We really look after our people. Yeah. Our people design and create amazing tech. They look after our clients' calls superbly. Um, they you know, do brilliant live chats all the time. And actually, that, that means that our company grows. So it's a very, you know, very simple model, I think. So is there a top business growth hack that you both have that you could pass on as advice? Well, so, so for, for me, uh, so with the events business that I had, uh, that I went on Dragon's Den with, one thing that I learned very quickly was grassroots marketing, the power of PR. Um, I use social media to also engage with uh, communities, but also we always created a real big buzz about the business. So I think, you know, I'm supremely passionate about everything that I do, but certainly for us, the, the, the business grew because of, you know, the people that we engaged with and the communities that we built. Rachel, what about you? I would say um, make sure that the decisions that you make today are scalable for tomorrow. So if you're designing your business, then make sure that the relationships that you have with your customers can be as strong today as they are when you're 10 times the size that you are today. Because otherwise you'll go through that horrible wobbly growth stage mm-hmm. where the quality of your service is completely compromised by the speed of your growth. Um, so just just multiply everything by 10 and think, will this work when we're bigger? So in the past few years, Rachel, you've also expanded to the United States. Mm-hmm. Was that as easy as a copy and paste? Or as <laughs> you shaking her head and smiling? Uh, it posed new challenges then, presumably. Well, it did. I think we totally underestimated the power of our people culture at Moneypenny. We thought naively we could just 
you know, pick it up and deliver money penny US mm. um, very easily uh, over there. And it, ha it just hasn't been as simple as that. But having said that, you know, we need to listen to our own, <laughs> to our own advice, mm. and it's about finding the right people to lead the office. So it's just taken us a while longer than we thought to find those people. And but having said that, you know, the, the US office is on the same trajectory as our as our UK business now. So it, it's all good. But we've and, and also there's an appreciation that that there's no way that you can directly replicate somebody something in the states uh, you know americans are a different culture they are a different people and we may be needed to take a bit more of that into consideration just for a bit of fun i'd like to know um you know name one difference that you saw between an american and a british well, person i don't know i don't know i just said well i just for example in the states you can be sacked to you know in two minutes right. there's no you've got no hardly any employment rights and I think that has a real impact on how you feel as an employee of a business because right. you I don't think you're going to invest as much in a business if you think that tomorrow you might no. not be there mm -hmm. and you know so I think that has quite significant implications for an organization I think sure. and if you multiply that you know right across America mm -hmm. I don't know you know that the, the, the relationship with work is different um, and I, I you know, found that out the other day. Yeah, and, well, and I only just found that yeah, out now. Shocking. Yeah, and it's an extraordinary yeah. thing. You know, yes. you, we would never, you could never imagine that that you know you could rock up tomorrow and not have a job. Yeah. But but actually, that's a real and present danger working in, you know, for an American organisation. That is or so, working in America. Yeah. So interesting yeah. and sad. For many companies, selling products and services internationally can be a huge turning point and bring massive success. But navigating the complexities of new territories and working out how to get started can be a tricky business. Luckily, one of the Voom competition partner companies this year are experts in that very area. And I want to hand over now to Mark Brandt, the managing director of PayPal here in the UK, for some top tips. I'm Mark Brandt, I'm the managing director for PayPal in the UK, and we're really delighted to be part of Voom this year something we've looked at over a number of years, and it just felt this was the right year to get involved. So we're delighted to be sponsoring the Voom International Award. So we'll be working with the Voom team, and have been working with the Voom team, to uh, develop an opportunity for Voom participants who are looking to scale cross-border and then to go international. We're offering £100,000 worth of free processing and the opportunity to be mentored by some PayPal execs. So PayPal is, a, by default, a global organisation. We started almost 20 years ago with the bizarre idea of sending money between two palm pilots. It was all about taking the friction out of moving money. And obviously, if you're uh, involved in commerce of any type, you need to move money. Um, so we developed products that allow people to move money domestically and cross-border. So when you're growing your business, it's, everyone knows it's not easy. You have to think about lots of different factors. So it would be a great opportunity to talk about some of the top tips that PayPal have picked up over the years to make it much easier for you to scale your business internationally. Um, I'm sure that it will be hopefully interesting set of tips which will be applicable not just to the people that are participating in the award but to the broader audience as well. For most people, international business isn't something they go looking for. It's something that finds them to start with. If you are running a successful domestic business, you're probably attracting some international customers. So take a look at where your organic customer base is coming from Rather than trying to go out and find new markets, look at the markets that are finding you first. So first top tip, look at your existing customer database, analyze that data, take a look at the kind of products that are selling to customers overseas and which countries they're coming from. And then ask yourself, how do I optimize that? How do I optimize my organic business before I start taking the expen often expensive step of looking for new markets? 
Um, and there are often some really simple things you can do. For example, if you're attracting customers from Germany, would you attract even more customers if you localized your site and started putting it in local language? Again, sticking with Germany, the German market isn't a heavily credit card market. There are certain local payment types. So offering those local payment types on your site may enable you to attract even more German customers. PayPal's a great example. It's a global brand. So when people are on a website and they're buying from a, a, a business which is overseas from them, they're looking for brands which they, they trust, which they're familiar with, and are easy to use. Once you've got the customer to your site, you've converted them, they've got an item in the basket, you've got them to press checkout, they've put their payment details in, then you're stuck with the problem of, okay, you've got to ship the goods to them. And often shipping is a big concern for both the consumer and for the merchant. How do I get this item to the consumer? And often if it's fashion, for example, where there may be a ret high return rate, how do I get that item back? So think through language, think through payment options, consider shipping, and from, when you start sending things cross-border, there are different tax issues to consider as well. And you don't need to do all this yourself. To start with, there are lots of third parties that you can use to make this a lot easier for yourself. Um, there are options such as marketplaces, which you may want to list on. There are some global marketplaces such as eBay or Etsy, and there are some local marketplaces as well. So do your research. PayPal has created something called the PayPal Passport. If you Google PayPal Passport, you'll come up with a couple of pages. Find the UK page, because there are various different local versions of it. Uh, that will give you lots of detail on various white papers and research that PayPal has done. There's especially some information on third parties that we work with. We have something called the Global Sellers Programme. And the Global Sellers Programme is a, is a partnership we've developed which will enable you to take your website, your domestic website, and turn it into an international website really quickly and simply. It's almost global selling in a box. So if you're daunted, try that out. So that takes you to the next level of, of selling internationally. Obviously then if you find you're really successful in a certain market, you may then want to take the bold step of actually localizing your business and putting a, a local warehouse or having a, a third party provide a local warehouse facility actually across the border. So you're not actually shipping it overseas, you'll be able to fulfill from a, a local destination. That is considerably additional cost, so you won't want to consider that as your first, first way of doing it. You want to start small, scale up, find your way, way through it, find those markets where it makes sense to have a local presence. And then when you are looking at investing, how do you fund that growth of your business? One great way to do that is to consider taking a working capital advance. Um, PayPal offers a service where we're able to make an advance to a small business based on the, the receivables that are coming through it. We're, we're processing all their payments, so we can see their, their receivables. Um, and working capital is a great way of taking an advance, which you can then pay back in line with the growth of your business. So where can selling overseas go wrong? I think sometimes you can be a little bit too confident and underestimate the competition. So before you do go putting a warehouse in America because you think there's a massive demand for your product, test it out. Do it on a, on a small scale. Um, there are third parties that enable you to do it in a much uh, in a cost-effective way. Um, so t t take your time. Um, like I said, don't create a massive website. Don't translate all of your product listings. Pick certain listings that you think will do well and you've done your research on and offer a limited selection of your lines to start with. Then if that works, then you can expand. So take it slowly. What some people do is they translate all of their product lines, trying to put the whole of their existing website into local language, and it becomes incredibly complicated. And typically, 
they waste a lot of time on investment where they could have done it in a much more targeted way, and perhaps it's 10 lines for this country, 10 stock lines for that country, rather than trying to take 1,500 product lines to, to one country. So fill your way, because different markets have different needs, they have different local competition, and as a UK business, you know, there are certain UK products, which we know from the research that we do, resonate really well with overseas customers. So find those products that you've got that resonate well with certain markets and take them overseas. Don't try and take everything at once. So those would be my top tips. If you're thinking about selling abroad, don't make it too complicated. Follow those basic steps and you'll quickly turn your domestic business into a great international business. A huge thank you there to Mark Brandt, Managing Director of PayPal in the UK, with some great pointers on growing internationally. The recipients of PayPal's special Zoom Award will be announced this Wednesday, the 23rd of May, alongside the main category winners. To find out more and to get minute-by-minute -minute action in the final stages, head to virginmediabusiness.co.uk slash Zoom or follow Virgin Media Business on social media. Back now at the Lowry Arts Centre in Manchester, where my guests are Naomi Timperley, co-founder of Tech North Advocates, and Rachel Klecker from Moneypenny. Well, we're nearly at the end of the podcast today, but I wanted to focus this last section on problem solving. So have there been any big hurdles that you've had to overcome along your journeys in business? Things perhaps that you've particularly learned from or situations where you've had to innovate or pivot to solve a problem? Naomi? I would probably say when I had the events business, uh, one thing that I learned very quickly is that I had to think on my feet. So something could happen. It could be with a venue. It could be with the DJ not turning up or anything mm. like that. Um, so I, I learned how to be resilient. Um, I was tenacious as well. And I think, you know, certainly with everything else that I've done, I've had to, to think quickly and be agile. And mm. I think for the, sort of the new business startups that are part of this competition, I think that's another sort of key quality skill that you need is you've got to be really agile. Very interesting. Rachel, what about you? Well, I think, God, there are numerous things, aren't there? And I think any small business knows that every single day you have to make all sorts of decisions, and, and hopefully some of those are innovative ones yeah. and useful ones. But I think I do think that you know small businesses have such a huge advantage in terms of that being able to be nimble and quick and to respond to to our clients and customers' needs. Because I think as all you know, as, as you get bigger, it's not not that easy. And I know you know for us, a pivotal moment in our growth. This was, I don't know, 15 years ago now, 16 years ago. Um, but it was actually our, our being able to secure direct debit payment for our clients. Um, and that allowed us to look bigger than we were. And But at that time, direct debit facility was not offered to small businesses. And we thought that was patently unfair. And we actually... we did the rounds of every single bank and then we did the rounds again my husband has an opticians business and he was being offered it because you know he was you know i think that they saw safe opticians as a good test bed mm -hmm. for offering direct debit facilities but that really you know it changed our ability overnight to focus on what we need to do to develop our service for our clients mm -hmm. because we were confident we were you know the money was coming in and i think that nowadays there is so much 
innovation and tech that allows you to be more nimble, more quick, and therefore more innovative. But I suppose in some respects, it's about not tying yourself up in knots and, and sometimes just thinking what, what is the right thing to do today for my customers. You are both seen as inspiring women in tech. So how have you taken it upon yourselves to inspire the next generation? Naomi. So I'm a massive champion of digital skills. So one of the tech companies I, I work with, Wakelet, is part of the Duke of York's new Idea Award, which is Inspiring Digital Enterprise Award. It's the Duke of York's equivalent to the Duke of Edinburgh, so it's for digital and tech skills, no camping included. Um, so I've been working uh, for the last um, year with um, the Duke of York's office to champion digital skills. And it's a, a platform that allows not only young people but also adults with digital inclusion to learn about tech and digital. Um, one of the things, um, certainly within Manchester, that the, the new mayor, Andy Burnham, is really passionate about is about Manchester being seen as a digital city. And I think if you want to be a digital city, you have to start with the citizens. Rachel, tell mm. me about We Mind the Gap. So, um, a couple of years ago, I just had this idea that actually... May, what would happen, I wanted to find out what would happen if we brought the kind of support that we give our team at Moneypenny to a different cohort in our local community. And so we've set up this charity, We Mind the Gap, and what we do is we run six-month traineeships for young women who haven't had the best start in life, who might have been referred to us by Youth Justice, Leaving Care, Bernardo's, Women's Aid, Homeless Hostels. And we've had huge success, and the reason being, I think, because we, we over our six-month traineeships with our young women, we provide them with a totally holistic experience that isn't just about it's about work experience and digital skills but it's also about their own personal development and you know them deciding for themselves what kind of future they want and it's been an amazing uh, what it is we're on an amazing journey as a charity um, and we're really we've had amazing support from so many organizations right across the northwest that um, you know we're hoping to come to Manchester next year we're in Liverpool we're in Flintshire we're in Wrexham um, and, you know, we're growing and I think we've found a, a really inspiring bunch of young women to work with who, who can go on and do amazing things. And have you already seen how much this charity has done to help individuals? Absolutely. I mean, in terms of, you know, we've now got some of our first cohorts who joined us in 2014, you know, and our university doing degrees in social policy, doing degrees in um, art, animation. We've got people heading up customer service teams. We've got, you know, people going off on their first foreign holidays, mm -hmm. moving, you know, their private homes, whatever. All really lovely success stories, but they're all the individual journeys that, that you know, it's, we believe fundamentally in we all deserve not to be prisoners of circumstance. We all deserve to be pilots of our own lives. And that's what it's all about. And it's been a joy to share in the journey with the girls. So what are you both most proud of in terms of your business journey so far, Naomi? Um, I think one thing that I have done is I've continued to learn. I didn't go to university until I was um, 44. I went on a master's course um, in digital marketing and communications without any formal qualifications apart from a couple of CSEs despite the fact that I've been working with universities for nearly eight years. Mm. Um, I lasted a year. Um, it was a very part-time course, and I got a postgraduate certificate. And I've just recently done um, a leadership course called Common Purpose. 
and I was surrounded by these amazing people who were on the course. Um, you know, we had two bishops, um, a governor of a, a prison and leaders of institutions and councils and everything. And I felt quite intimidated at, at first. But actually, I think what I've learned through the years and all the things that I've been involved in is actually that I can be a leader, but through influence. Mm. So, yes, I, th I think that's what I'm probably most proud of is, is the fact that I've been on a journey. Um, I've recently become uh, an honorary industry fellow at the University of Salford Business School, which is like hugely, like I'm just, you know, my mum's very proud of me. <laughs> um, that's probably the proudest thing. How wonderful. What about you, Rachel? Well, I think, a bit like Naomi, it's about, you know, that, that whole learning process. But I think also it's about the power of community. And the thing I'm most proud of is the community that we've created at Moneypenny, the, the community that we've found in sort of what could be unexpected surroundings of sunny Wrexham, which is not the most expected place to set up a business like ours. And, and I think, you know, it's the yeah, thing I'm most proud of is, is the people who've joined us on this journey and made it just this extraordinary thing. And, and it's about that whole learning experience. And actually, as a community, we can just keep on doing and keep on growing and keep on achieving new things. And if you were to offer our pitchers, the startups and scale-ups, one final piece of advice, perhaps something you wish you'd known earlier in your career, what would it be? Ask for help if you need it. Know what it is that you do and do it brilliantly. Naomi and Rachel, it has been wonderful to have you as part of the Voom podcast. And where can people find out more about your companies, web and social? OK, so you can find me on Twitter at Naomi Timpley or at TechNorthADV. And our website is technorthadvocates.com. What about you, Rachel? Um, well, I am at Rachel Clacker, um, moneypenny.co.uk, um, at moneypenny and at WeMindTheGapUK. Thank you so much. And I also want to thank Mark Brandt from PayPal. Good luck to everyone who is pitching. And remember, the Veeam final is happening this Wednesday. That's the 23rd of May, when six lucky businesses will be pitching to Richard Branson and a panel of expert judges in front of a live audience. I'll be back later in the week with a special show with news from the final. Do keep up to date and watch the live stream from the event by following Virgin Media Business on social media or heading to virginmediabusiness.co.uk slash voom. Until then, for me, Nikki Bady, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.